Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night, ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome, everybody. I'm Theo Greminger, and this is the first episode of Press Coverage. Uh, This is Player Profiler's newest podcast. I'm really, really excited to host it. Uh, You've seen me on Sonic Truth. You've seen me on First Class Fantasy. This is my first solo pod. And the the goal for this podcast is I don't want to sound like every other podcast out there in the space. I want to have guests that have really sharp takes and bring actionable information. I think it's getting harder and harder to find edges and identifying those edges that can really help you and your fantasy team win. And the guest I have on today, I I was really, really fortunate to book. Um, I've had a chance to podcast with him a few times in the GOAT district. Uh, Welcome to the show, my first guest, Adam Levitan of Establish the Run. How are you doing today, Adam? Good, man. Thanks for having me. Congrats on the the launch. No, I appreciate that. And um, you guys are putting out like tremendous content at ETR. A lot of respect for what you guys do. I had uh, Jack Miller and Justin Herzig contribute to our draft kit. They did cameos. It was fantastic for us at Player Profiler. Um, and I know you guys are putting out just a ton of great stuff uh, all summer long. Why don't you talk a little bit about, a lot of people are watching this right now on Player Profiler YouTube. Why don't you talk a little bit about some of the cool stuff that's coming out on ETR YouTube? Yeah, yeah. If you check out our YouTube, I know a lot of people listen to the podcast and the podcast is very, very popular. Um, that's audio only. We've been making a focus on bringing content to YouTube that doesn't go up on the pod feed. And so we have a bunch of strategy videos, evergreen stuff on there. And then we also have all the live streams that we do for best ball and other stuff that we'll do throughout the summer as well. So yeah, if you're watching this on YouTube, head over to the Establish the Run YouTube and hit subscribe there too. We'd appreciate it. Yeah, you're putting out really, really good stuff. And I and I appreciate how once in a while you guys will drop like a very hilarious uh, video um, I think back to some of like the Mike Leone ones. Do you have anything anything planned for for Mike this summer? Really get yeah. after it. Yeah, we'll make fun of his virginity and stuff like that at some point. Yes, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Got You got to bring that one back. Um, and one thing I thought was really cool that like you're 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 a huge huge name and a huge voice in this industry. I think what you and Evan have put together at EDTR is awesome. But one thing that you've done in like over I'd say is about the past year is you've done these podcasts with non-fantasy football voices that I thought were like really, really cool. How did those come to be? Uh, And maybe you could talk about some of those really cool guests you've had on. Yeah, I mean, I like interviewing people, you know? And um, obviously I most spend most of my time thinking and talking about football and football players, but I I find um, famous people that are at least uh, tangently related to the gambling space to be um really interesting to to interview so yeah i mean negranu uh came up because his golf coach was an etr subscriber um schefter i've gotten to know because he's a really big fantasy player and just like really really nice dude i I think people like that like doing interviews with people who actually are really into their space you know so when i did the negranu interview you know I, i knew a ton about everything the ground he's done for the last 10 years with poker, his whole, you know, feud with Doug Polk and the poker stars, uh, supernova elite mess and coin flex and the heads up duels and, uh, the cheating that was going on on GG poker. And, and, you know, like, I, I think he's used to getting questions along the same lines of, Oh, you know, what's your biggest win ever? Or well, what's your biggest loss ever? Or, or people ask Schefter, you know, what's it like hanging out with players all the time? Like, you know, that stuff is, is I think not unique. And so, having giving people who I, I think um, are at least related to gambling and 
I know a lot about and they have um, really interesting personalities. I, I think, um, yeah, I love doing those. So if anybody ever has any ideas of people that, that want to come on and be interviewed, I, I'd love to do it. And any like really cool, like lessons you learn. I mean, it's a lot of people, I'm sure you took, took, had some major takeaways from all of those interesting people, but were there any like super interesting or like actionable takeaways, something really exciting that you learned from any of those people that just yeah. stands out? I mean, I think Negreanu and Schefter both um, like build a lot on trust. You know, I mean, um, Schefter talks a lot about how he can't report everything that he hears because, you know, there's a huge trust element to it. And he doesn't want to burn um, anyone. Negreanu got into this whole thing with Poker Stars that kind of soiled his name for a while. And, you know, I, I got to ask him about why he went down the same path with, with Gigi. And, you know, it, it comes back to trusting people. So, you know, I, I think it's hard. I try to be, um, open and, uh, you know, uh, yeah, open to, to working or, or being with anyone, but in terms of who I trust and who those guys trust, I think is, is really an important, uh, important distinction. Yeah. I think that's a great, great takeaway. Um, and definitely highly recommend those, especially this time of year when people are just grinding podcasts, uh, you know, pop in some of Adam's old stuff, give a little bit, a little change of pace from, from hearing, you know, some of the Bijan Robinson, versus Austin Eckler type stuff that we're going to talk about coming up shortly. But first, I want to uh, hear from our sponsors at Rival. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now's the time to save 30% on wedding jewelry, only on BlueNile.com. Make sure your wedding ring is the one with your pick of diamond and lab-grown diamond bands, all hand-finished and graded for excellence. Or surprise her with something blue she'll love for life, like a stunning pair of sapphire earrings. Blue Nile's jewelry experts are available 24-7 to help, from fit questions to style advice. Right now, get up to 30% off at BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Oh, baseball season's heating up. It's all about baseball right now. You know, eh, baseball, baseball. Yeah, baseball is the most exploitable of the sports, especially on Rival Fantasy, RivalFantasy.com. Go there now. They have the fantasy book where you can take over under a certain number of fantasy points, and they have challenges where you can take player X or player Y. I get great pleasure out of fading Mike Trout into oblivion. And then don't forget about fantasy bingo where you can say, okay, I think Acuna's going to steal a base today. I think that Freddie Freeman's going to have two hits based on the matchup. The lefty-righty and the pitcher quality matchups that you could exploit are unlike any other sport. Go to RivalFantasy.com. Use the promo code PLAYER. They refund any losses up to 50 bucks, and they are a great supporter of Player Profiler. Everything we do, this show in particular, is only possible because of Rival. RivalFantasy.com. The promo code is PLAYER. How about you, Adam? Do you like to uh, gamble a little bit on baseball, or, or you stay out of those streets? No, I am not in the baseball streets uh, uh, whatsoever. Negative on that. I, I stay I stay out of those uh, as well. Uh, I, I know you're you're a basketball guy though, huh? Yeah, I love basketball for sure, for sure. What uh, what are you thinking with uh, Webanyama? You're you're you got to be excited about about him. I mean, we don't want to get too off topic here, but I was watching some highlights this week, and I'm I'm like so stoked to see this guy in the NBA right now. Yeah, I mean, I think this is like the evolution of of athletics and athletes, right? Someone who's seven four who can like really dribble and really shoot and is really agile and athletic. Like, you know, I, it's just the evolution of an athlete. It's it's totally insane. Yeah, it's it's really wild. I mean, I think it's we're probably about the same age. And I think if you if I was describing this player to you like twenty years ago, you'd be like, I don't I don't buy it. And then like Durant kind of opened everything up. But mm -hmm. it's it's definitely awesome. I I can't wait to see him play. Try to get out and check out. Usually, like the Spurs is like the cheap one. If you're going to go to a Knicks game, I'm a New York guy. You can get in and see the Spurs lately for cheap, but I think that it's going to be expensive tickets this year. We'll see. We'll see. But I, I wanted to. I've been asking a lot of people this on on my on my podcast this summer. Um, I know that uh, ETR, much like Player Profiler, you guys put like a lot a lot of like work and time 
and energy into having really accurate, excellent rankings. And you guys have some super sharp minds over at ETR, put, put a lot of work into that. Uh, and if there's really like a couple of players that are kind of giving me pause and they're difficult to kind of just, you know, pigeonhole how they're going to do this year. If there was one player that if you could know their final stats for this season of anybody in football right now, who would it be? Yeah, I think the best way to answer this kind of question is think about what else you would learn from knowing that. So, uh, you know, the first one that came to mind to me was Kadarius Tony, not because I'm that interested in Kadarius Tony, but if I know that Kadarius Tony is only going to earn 10% of the targets, you know, 11% of the targets, then I would have absolute smashes on some of these other guys, right? And so, like, Kadarius Tony is so hard because his yards per route run, targets per route run, his project, his um, uh, touchdown rate has been like so outrageously ridiculous in a small sample. I don't know how sustainable it is. Obviously, we're regressing it some, but the market is all over Kadarius Tony. So, you know, I, I, I'm not that interested in like Tony's exact stat line. I think he's probably going to be overdrafted um, under most base cases, but I am really curious, like what it would do to the rest of the chiefs if we could find out what his stat line would be. So that, that would be the one for me. Yeah. You know, you're not the first person that said Tony, I think he's like a polarizing guy. And I think for a lot of the reasons that you brought up, we've heard a a number of like Anthony Richardson's um, and then a lot of kind of Deshaun Watson's just curious kind of where you're at with Watson Cause I think it's similar. Like he could completely unlock that, that Cleveland offense. And it's like, we talk about range of outcomes. I feel like he's got a wide, a wide net. You know, the difference between for me between Tony and Deshaun Watson is Deshaun Watson has shown a long track record of being a really, really good fantasy quarterback, like really good. And the reason that people are down on him this year is because of a six game sample in which he, you know, wasn't with the team the entire season in which two of the games were in horrific, weather in which he didn't have Elijah Moore may still be getting DeAndre Hopkins. So yeah, I'm in on Deshaun Watson. I I think you take on some risk with those late season weather games in Cleveland feels like every year lately, it's been like some crazy 30 mile an hour wind in Cleveland for some late season game, but I'm not going to go out and and project that. So yeah, I'm in on, on Deshaun Watson. If in, in draft boards where you miss out on those elite quarterbacks. Yeah, I am as well. I think that it's that the it seems like the community has really, really steamed up rounds would be my one concern is we're not getting like really any discount. You're starting to see Elijah Moore come up. I think Amari Cooper's kind of being drafted almost at his ceiling. So it's difficult for like the best ball stacking. But just in terms of how steamed up that quarterback tier is of the elite guys, Watson could be a guy that that could give us some edge. And I want to give you props because last summer you came on Goat District with me. And you and and Evan and, and ETR, you guys were bullish on Daniel Jones. And I think you were definitely like way ahead of a number of sites on how you thought Daniel Jones would be. Daniel Jones ends up being like a top eight quarterback in most scoring formats. He was definitely uh, a steal for super flex drafters. And you got some a, lot, a number of useful weeks out of him in redraft. It seems like it's getting harder and harder every year to find like the edge at the quarterback position. It's all the guys with rushing ability are getting pushed up and pushed up with these guys being steamed up so high. Are there certain players that you're viewing at the quarterback spot that could smash ADP and you could take this for best ball. You could take this for redraft that are maybe going outside of the elite tier that are, that are targets of yours or guys you're interested in. Yeah. Well, it certainly used to be easier, right? Like the first like ever big score I had playing fantasy football was with Dante Culpepper and he was like free. And that was before Dante Culpepper ever really, started a game, but it was obvious he was going to run a ton, you know? So those guys don't exist. And that's just like markets are going to get more efficient is what it is. I I think you have to be willing to settle for pass game efficiency rather than running game. Last year was an exception because like everybody hated Daniel Jones. Everybody hated the wide receivers. I don't think they realized how good of a runner Daniel Jones could be or how big of an impact Brian Dable could have this year. I don't, see it as runners per se. I know some people are on Sam Howell. That's like a little bit too thin and late. I think for me, I'm looking for more efficiency with my quarterbacks in those later rounds this year. So like for me, Tua Tagovailoa and Geno Smith would be my two favorite targets. Um, I know they don't go super late, but I think they go late enough to where they can really pay it off. And especially in sites where you get 300 yard bonus, like DraftKings gives you 300 yard bonus um, 
for three hundred yard uh, for a three hundred yard pass day, you get three points. It's worth a lot with Tua and Gino. And I know people are going to talk about all the Tua concussion stuff. I know people say Gino is a one year flash in the pan. I, I just can't and don't worry about those things. I think the range of outcomes on if Tua gets hurt, gets another concussion, is wider than people think. Everybody's just like, oh, another concussion. He's out of the league. It's over. Like, I'm not sure that's definitely going to be the case. And Gino, I do not think was a fluke, like at all. Like completion percentage is a really, really hard thing to fluke. And Gino was so, so good in that last year. And they've added JSN and they have a really good uh, pass game schedule also, I think. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think that Gino is kind of here to stay. It's it's really cool to see him have like this, this late career renaissance. Um, but yeah, Seattle told you exactly kind of what they think about him with, with their actions uh, just curious, uh, it's not on the show sheet, but the way you're approaching those Seattle wide receivers, because I think there's some polarization right now in terms of JSN going ahead of Lockett in most underdog drafts. In, in FFPC, uh, in a number of high-stakes formats, it's it's usually Lockett ahead. But where are you at with how you're attacking that that receiver core? Because if you're on Geno there's going to be some wide receiver winners there. Do you think it's sticking with DK or are you taking shots on the other two? God, you know, so hard. And I do think that they're going to run more three wide receiver sets this year. I, I think I prefer Lockett. I think for some of the best ball stuff with like, there's so much data on rookie first round rookie wide receivers being so much better second half of the year, so much better last four or five, six games. That's where all the money is in best ball and for that reason we have jsn slightly ahead in our underdog rankings but for redraft i'm would almost certainly take tyler lockett ahead of jsn yeah it's definitely uh you know a wide receiver core that i that i want to take shots on especially with stacking gino and i like that you're on that the fact that you think they're going to run three wide receiver sets because i think you get a lot of like the anti jsn people pushing back with they're going to be in 12 that doesn't make sense to me. I mean, they're they're chasing the everybody's chasing Philadelphia in the NFC. You got to you got to push it, push the pedal to the metal. And what better way than using JSN in that slot with Lockett and DK next to him? I mean, that's the way you win a playoff game against against Philly or San Francisco, in my opinion. Agreed. Um, wanted to keep it going. The, uh, we have a another kind of polarizing debate. Uh, this is FF. You know, you could talk about underdog. You can talk about FFPC, NFFC. Any single site you're looking at and drafting on right now, there is a Bijan Robinson versus Austin Eckler debate right now. You have Eckler, who finished as RB1 overall last year, was RB2 overall the year before, entering year seven of his career. Just been just been dynamite in fantasy. Then you have Bijan Robinson, who I think is the most hyped rookie running back that we've seen. I think the hype right now, at least for early, you know, for almost July is ahead of where Saquon was and ahead of where Zeke was, certainly miles ahead of where Najee Harris was when he ended up in the first round. Where are you at on Austin Eckler versus Bijan Robinson right now? Do you want to split it up 50-50 or do you have strong conviction on one or the other? Oh, no. I mean, I, I like Bijan plenty, but I think Eckler is clearly better play. I mean, we have Eckler fifth overall. We have Bijan ninth overall. I mean, you know, Austin Eckler's role is so insane. And I think Bijan Robinson's role is going to be insane, but I wouldn't swear to it. And there's way more systemic risk. Like I like the Falcons and we can talk about that later, but it wouldn't be crazy to think that Desmond Ritter falls flat on his face, right? Like that wouldn't be totally insane. Justin Herbert is not falling flat on his face. I think Bijan Robinson's going to be an awesome receiver in the NFL. It would be really hard for him to be anywhere near as good of a receiver and have the same role in the past game as Austin Eckler has. So, yeah, I don't think it's really close for me. It's Eckler. So you see Eckler as like a, an edge right now that people can take away and like go with Adam. You know, the fact that you're getting Eckler kind of in the back half of the first round, that's an edge that you think drafters should be should be hit pressing the button on? I think so. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I'm confused why people are are not in on, on Austin Eckler as much as they maybe were or, or thought I thought they would be coming off last year. Do you buy into? I'll, I'll tell you a couple of the couple of the pushbacks that that I the one that I think is kind of I really push back on is that they're going to bring in a veteran running back sometime in August. Do you buy into that one, or do you think that they're going to roll with Josh Kelly or maybe Spiller as the cuff? I think they've been looking for a back for a while. I mean, they've used some draft picks, they've kicked some tires, they've been looking for a big back 
compliment to Austin Eckler, I don't see how that changes Austin Eckler's role. If he loses a couple first and 10 carries or five first and 10 carries from the their own 40 yard line or their own 20 yard line, like I couldn't care less, you know, that that doesn't bother me at all. In fact, maybe it keeps him even fresher. So yeah, I, I don't really see, even if they signed someone to be a big back, like if they signed Zeke, I don't think that really affects, that would not affect our Eckler projection very much. I don't think. The, the Zeke Kellen Moore reunion that, that nobody yeah. cared about. That would be, that'll be a fun little storyline. Yeah. I'm, I'm with you. And I think that the whole argument that these veteran backs are going to get brought into to, for competition for a number of these guys, besides Dalvin cook, it's like a lot of these guys have just been sitting there. They're probably cheaper than you think. And people are not like the whole idea that they're, we're going to let them rest out the summer and then bring them in late. You could still sign them. And say just you know take off OTA. So I don't really buy into that one. How about the Austin Eckler could potentially lose some some of his receiving volume with Kellen Moore as, as offensive coordinator? Do you worry about him uh, returning value if he drops to like eighty five receptions, or do you think he's just such an efficient player that it wouldn't matter? Yeah, and it's the goal line stuff too. I think is is worth is worth uh, mentioning just like the way he scores touchdowns. But yeah, I think a healthy Keenan Allen for the whole year. Plus, Kellen Moore changing the scheme leaves some room for variance there in Austin Eckler's target share. So, like, I, I get that one a little bit. I would not bet on Keenan Allen staying healthy for the entire year, number one. And, like, I think Kellen Moore does a really good job of identifying who his best players are and how to get them the ball. And, like, no matter what scheme he's running, I feel like he, he knows Austin Eckler is one of his best players. So, yeah, I get that one a, a little bit. And, and we do have a bit of a reduced target share on Austin Eckler, and we're still coming through at five overall in Austin Eckler. So, yeah, I, I feel pretty good about it. Where would you be comfortable drafting Bijan Robinson? I know you mentioned you guys have him at nine, but for Adam Levitan's, your own personal exposure, where are you comfortable drafting him? <laughs> yeah, I'm fine with that. I, I mean, I, I take digs ahead of him. Um, I would consider Devontae Adams and A.J. Brown ahead of him. But uh, beyond that, I, I think I'm, I'm totally fine with Bijan Robinson where he goes. Two other running backs, like you know, and I'll just say what's really interesting is right now I'm starting to see a lot of Bijan Robinson, Jonathan Taylor combo builds, like in FFPC. I think that's interesting, but I want to get your take on Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor because these two guys are both sitting there at the beginning of the second round now. Uh, where are you at on those guys? I know that we you've talked about being a zero or hero RB build. Do you want to start your hero build with those guys in the second? Or are these guys that you're continually passing over maybe for some of the elite wide receivers that that start to fall off after this round? Yeah, I, and I think, you know, this is a conversation that uh, about something more macro that's going on in drafting where like the wide, the running backs you can get in round three and four or five are unlike any other running backs you could ever get before. And so I am not falling all over myself to get Saquon or Jonathan Taylor. I actually prefer Nick Chubb to to both of them. I don't know if that's a hot take or not, but I actually prefer Nick Chubb to both Saquon and JT uh, right now. In terms of like wide receivers, yeah, Devontae Adams, AJ Brown, CeeDee Lamb, Amon Ra, Jalen Waddell. I think I would certainly take those guys over Saquon and JT most likely just because I know like I can get Brees Hall or Ramajay Stevenson or Josh Jacobs in round three and like, my God, I'm still in a really good spot at running back whereas you could have said that in the past like um you know you could have said in the past i can get these guys who could finish as a top five running back in round three or round four i don't really think that was in the range of outcomes for a lot of these running backs but now you really can so i i, I try to lean wide receiver elite when it's close there at the end kind of the one two turn we'll come right back to that but i want to just quickly pick your brain on chubb because chubb is a guy that steamed up if you look at like early ADP from like before the NFL draft, Nick Chubb, like I remember on first class uh, fantasy, I think we had Mike Leone on and we were talking about Nick Chubb and how like he was such a good value there. Now in FFPC drafts, he's going in the middle of the second. So the mm -hmm. steam has come all the way. Now you got, um, I think it's Mary Kay Cabot talked about how they're going to use him more as a receiver out of the backfield. I mean, that's just like, if you can get Nick Chubb to 50 receptions, he, he breaks fantasy, doesn't he? Yeah. So, you know, the beat writer stuff with that doesn't mean too much to me. I think the fact that they just said, see you later to uh, Kareem Hunt 
and are like, well, we'll just go with Jerome Ford, who barely played for us last year, and and we'll go with these other dust balls. Like, I mean, why not just load it up and go for it with with Nick Chubb? You know, why, why not? I think he's been fine in the past game, and he's actually been pretty efficient there. They did run some screens for him, and again, just back the systemic stuff. I do think the Browns are going to take a pretty big leap forward. And Deshaun Watson will prove that last year was kind of a uh, at best like a small sample mess. So yeah, I I, I don't have many concerns on Nick Chubb right now. Looks like he popped out. Can you guys hear me in the chat? Apologies for the uh, the technical difficulties uh, there, Adam. No worries. Um, yeah, so I also wanted to talk about the dead zone. I know you guys have done a, a lot of work with this, where I believe... Where are we at with the changing of the dead zone? And what do you think the reason for this is, that, that you're able to get these fantastic running backs? Do you think it's the wide receiver thirst? Do you think it's the quarterbacks being pushed up? What do you think it is? I think people take correct concepts and go too far with them too often. I think hero and zero RB is right in the right setups and the right draft rooms. People take it too far. I think it is right to uh, value rookies uh, more than the market has in the past because of how the projectable volume in week one and week two and week three isn't worth that much. But these guys come on late in the year. I think that's right. I think people have taken it too far. I think we'd say the same thing about wide receivers. hundred percent. I think it's right to have wide receiver drafts, but I think people are going a bit overboard, especially in half PPR. So yeah, I think these are all concepts that are right, but people have just taken them too far. Now counters are, are hard, um, which makes me feel like maybe they haven't gone too far. Counters are hard. I mentioned one that these round three, round four, round five running backs, I think are better than ever before and should no longer be considered actual dead zone backs, most of them. Um, but yeah, you know, the market is certainly getting more efficient. And, you know, it's just like betting unders in in props and stuff like that. You know, now we have we're showing a lot more overs because the market is over adjusted, you know. So it still doesn't feel great to take an over, just like it doesn't feel great to take running backs in round three, four, five. But um, at some point, I, when things go too far like this, I think there are um, merit in that. Yeah, and you've right now you're seeing in like a lot of these FFPC drafts, you're seeing like 14 or 15 wide receivers going in those first two rounds. So it's it's just pushing guys back. Two running backs that are that are like red hot in terms of the interest behind them and the bullishness. I think are Ramondre Stevenson and Tony Pollard. Pollard usually in the second. Stevenson we, we're starting to see in the third a little bit. Where are you at on these two guys? Do you think that the the hype is real? And are you excited to draft them? I like them both. I mean, uh, Ramondre was one of our like favorite guys last year, and he got steamed. You know, he started like the 11th round, probably closed out around the 8th round. You saw Ramondre Stevenson with Damian Harris out last year get a 20% target share in something like six straight games. Absolutely unheard of at the running back position. I mean, so good. Now, the concern, obviously, was Bill O'Brien here. He's always used a sub back on pass downs, you know, and that's certainly a concern. They have Ty Montgomery there. They have Pierre Strong there. Will they be that sub back? Maybe. They also talked about Ramondre wearing down a bit at the end of the year, and I think that was valid. He did look like he wore down a bit um, to me, but they love this kid. I mean, I heard Bill Belichick say, like, something like, uh, my favorite players are Lawrence Taylor and Ramondre Stevenson or something crazy like that. I mean, Ramondre Stevenson is really, really good. If he doesn't come off the field in those sub roles, he has the usage that can lead to being a top five back. I think this Patriots offense will be better, but they're going to be behind a ton. They have an absolutely brutal opposing quarterback schedule. So um, I like Ramondre where he goes, especially if it's like middle of round three. Much higher than that, I'm starting to get a little bit queasy. And I do think they're a good landing spot for Leonard Fournette also. I'll just throw that uh, in there. It just seems like very Patriots-esque to add a Leonard Fournette type. Pollard, yeah. go ahead, sorry. Yeah, I was going to say that the Fournette one, I've heard you talk about that, and it does make a lot of sense because he's versatile. And also they seem to lack receivers 
So why not be a little different in that division and just have like, you know, your the fantasy production coming from two running backs? I think that's actually very sharp and very Bill Bill Belichick yeah. to kind of hide Mac Jones with with those two guys. I like yeah, that. yeah, for sure. Um, and on Pollard, I think the best landing spot actually for Ezekiel Elliott is Dallas. Will he be willing to swallow his pride and come back for like hardly any money and be some short yardage specialist behind Tony Pollard? Maybe we've built a, a bunch of unlisted work to Dallas because we do still think they're going to add a big back. But if we're wrong and they don't, I mean, when Pollard goes 20th overall, my God, he's just an absolute smash. So I, I still like taking Tony Pollard, taking him a ton in the second round. We'll see how it plays out with, with who they add. But again, we, are, we have him around 20th overall right now, and we are baking in a lot of unlisted work. I'm all over Pollard right now. And I think the, the people pushing back on Pollard – will bring up the fact that can he handle, you know, a lot more carries? And also, where do you think that he'll be at as a receiver? Because I think his path to being like RB1 overall is he needs to be heavily targeted. What do you think What do you think Pollard can handle? Do you have any volume concerns about him? Yeah. I mean, this was the whole thing in TFS. There was a week last year when people were like, took some quote from Skip Pete, who's the Cowboys running backs coach like completely out of context and was like, we don't want, you know, we don't want to give Tony Pye more than 30 snaps. You know, he's a sports car, not a, not an SUV or whatever. You know, when the chips were down, Tony Pollard was out there touching the ball 20, 25 times a game when Zeke was out. So uh, no, I think that they're going for it. You know, he's on a one-year deal and I hate to like be this, uh, you know, non-humane, but if I was coaching them and I had a running back on a one-year deal, I would run him into the freaking ground. I mean, I, I I just would, you know, and and um maybe I'm a hardo, but yeah, that's what I would do. Adam Levitan, the 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 inhumane running back coach. <laughs> that that's a that's a good show title. Um, and I, I agree with you. And I think that what's interesting about Pollard is the volume, you know, hasn't been there, but he's only has like 550 career carries. So the tread on the tire is not there. So I'm with you. Want to talk about uh a couple, couple of these handcuffs. We're starting to see a little bit of Jalen Warren steam. Mm -hmm. uh, you discussed him on Market Movers. Who are some of your favorite handcuffs or handcuff pluses? I mean, I'm always looking for guys who have some standalone value with upside for more, right? So like the direct handcuffs, you know, like Jerome Ford going in the 14th round now or something strikes me as bad. Like he has no I standalone saw Jerome, value. Jerome Ford in a 350 FFPC I was in the other day went like at the 1201. The, 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 we've jumped the shark on uh, Jerome Ford. Yeah. And like, if you want to make a case that you drafted Nick Chubb and you have to have Jerome Ford as your handcuff, I would argue against that. But if you want to make that case, I, I'm okay with that. There's no way Jerome Ford has standalone value in round 12, even round 14. The guys that I like that are like a handcuff plus, I guess, as you would call it, um, you know, Gibson, uh, James Cook, Devon A. Chain, Tank Bigsby. Like, I think I can get something from these guys in a pinch, if not more. And then obviously if there's injuries in front, I think the role will expand pretty, pretty hard. And yeah, I mean, I, I throw Kenny Gamewell into the mix too there, although I would not uh, consider it. Like I think Kenny Gamewell has a path to like a real role right away, not even just like contingent value, but, but yeah, I, I, I like, I, I like, I like taking all those guys all the time. I love taking Gainwell. Gainwell is like the, the forgotten guy right now. He's got so many paths. I heard you and Evan talk about it. I think you're spot on with Gainwell Coaching staff loves him. He's like an auto pick and an underdog. Um, it's interesting you bring up Bigsby. Bigsby, to me, might have the most contingent upside for any of these handcuffs. I think he's like for like with ETN. What, what, if if there was a handcuff that could just break fantasy, like who is the the handcuff that if the starter goes down is is the best one for your fantasy team? Probably Charbonnet, right? I mean, I know Charbonnet goes pretty high, but I mean, if something happened to Kenneth Walker, I mean, Charbonnet, they, they already prefer him as the pass down back, I think. And we'll see if he can actually earn that in camp. And then to add base work and goal line work to Charbonnet's role in what we think is going to be a really good offense in Seattle. Like to me, he's the one that, I mean, if something happened to Walker, Charbonnet would just smash. I love that answer. I, I agree with you. And it becomes a little bit polarizing because you're starting to see their ADPs converge. I want to get your opinion on three backfields. You've already brought up Gibson. You've already brought up Charbonnet. But right now, when when looking with ADP in consideration, who do you prefer, Ken Walker or Zach Charbonnet? I mean, you said they're converging. I can't believe how late Kenneth Walker is going now. I, and like, 
I understand they use a second round pick on Charbonnet. I think that the base work is going to go to Kenneth Walker. I think the goal line work is going to go to Kenneth Walker. When he goes in the 50s, man, I mean, that that's crazy to me. I, I, I love Kenneth Walker there. People call boom bust as a negative, and maybe it is in real life, and maybe that'll cost him some work. In fantasy, like, I kind of want my guys to be boom bust. I want Kenneth Walker to go out there and break the week with, you know, two 80-yard touchdown runs or something. You know, I, I, I like that. So, yeah, to me, Kenneth Walker, when he goes in the 40s and the 50s, I, I prefer that. I think that's a smash. Yeah, and there's so many of these guys that are like, like you bring up, like purgatory players, uh, especially at the RB2 land. And to have a guy that, that has a home run ability, it's funny. It's like this time of year, you see people trying to poke holes in, in literally everything they can. Mm -hmm. um, and that's definitely one. So, so you're on Ken Walker there. What about James Cook versus Damian Harris? This one's given people a lot of pause. I'm on the Cook side. Yeah, I... Uh... God, I don't have a strong take on this one. I've thought a lot about the Buffalo backfield. I don't have a strong take about how it's going to go. The profile of player I prefer is certainly James Cook, like without a doubt. Damian Harris is the kind of player, though, that coaches like to hand the ball to. Um, I, I would go James Cook, but I honestly have not been taking much of either of these guys, and that might be a mistake because I'm kind of paralyzed. Like I get into these spots sometimes where I'm just paralyzed. I don't have a strong take on either guy. And I'm like, well, I'll just take neither. And you know, that's probably bad also. So um, yeah, I don't, I don't have a strong take. I lean cook just for player archetype. In an underdog type draft in an 18 man underdog, is there, do you completely lose the edge? Is there an argument to taking cook and, and Harris, or do you think that's just bad best ball strategy? Oh no, I think that's good. We've, we've done ton of research on this. Leone has an article up about this. We've talked about it. There's the direct handcuff stuff is bad. Like Chubb and Ford is bad where they both can contribute and contribute on different weeks. It's good. And not only can they contribute on different weeks, think about the playoffs. Like you need to win your pod in week 15. You need to win your pod in week 16. You need to win the final in week 17. What if week 15 is a James Cook game? And week 16 is a Damian Harris game. And week 17 is a James Cook game. You know, I think having them both can actually can actually work. So, yeah, I think that's totally fine. Yeah, and it's 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 very interesting. Um, but I, I remember back to the Jonathan Taylor rookie year. I had a couple of Jonathan Taylor, Naheem Hines teams that looked so square when I was drafting them. And, and, and they ended up working out very well. So I think there's something to that. And highly recommend uh, Mike Leone's work. It's, it's excellent. Um, one more backfield. You talked about Antonio Gibson. Gibson clearly over Brian Robinson, or does that give you pause a little bit? Yeah, it's Gibson over Robinson to me, but it does scare me a little bit because coaches just like have repeatedly not loved Antonio Gibson. Um, you know, and Brian Robinson is kind of similar to some of these guys who who coaches love two down grinder, plays hard, will get what's blocked, but isn't explosive. You know, coaches seem to love those guys, but man, with JD McKissick gone and Eric Bieniemy in. It just doesn't set up much better for Antonio Gibson right now. I would consider Brian Robinson and Chris Rodriguez both negatives in the past game and Antonio Gibson a positive in the past game. So like he should have that role to himself right away. And if he plays well, which I know is always like a concern with Antonio Gibson coaches, he seems to always piss coaches off. But uh, if he plays well, I think he could have the pass game role plus. Yeah, I know. It's interesting you bring up McKissick. People forget about McKissick, how, how targeted he was. In the games he's out on the field, the guy's getting like five targets. If that yeah. simply goes to Gibson, Gibson's a smash. Um, it's not quite as as wide as it was, you know, before the draft. I think people are starting to get wise to Gibson, and also, you know, Robinson's kind of a jag. So I, I wanted to to pivot over here to wide receiver. Two guys that people are head over heels for right now are Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. These two guys are basically like Wilson's basically first rounder at this point. I think like on underdog, he's like 13 overall FFPC is like 15 overall. And you've got Chris Olave, who you were able to get in the third round for a while. Now he's right there. He seems to be a very popular guy at the two, three turn. Where are you at on Olave and Wilson? Yeah, we're lower the market on Wilson. We're, we're at 17 overall on Wilson. And he goes, like you said, around 12 or 13. I mean, I didn't think we were going to be low on Wilson. We have this massive projection and ranking on Wilson and people have gone completely nuts on Wilson. I think one of the reasons we're having a hard time getting there is because um, Aaron Rodgers has historically not had a ton of volume. You know, he's not one of these guys that's going to throw 40, 50 times in the game. He's been insanely efficient, especially in the red zone. And, and I get that. And that's certainly good for Wilson, but it's hard for me to really 
see that Wilson is not being drafted at his ceiling when he goes 12 or 13 overall. You mentioned Amari Cooper being drafted at his ceiling. I, I tend to agree there. But to me, Garrett Wilson is like the poster boy for being drafted at his ceiling right now. Uh, where are you at on Garrett Wilson versus Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith, the guys kind of behind him? Yeah, we have we have Jalen Waddell ahead and we have Devontae Smith uh, behind. Um, I would consider those guys all to be in a similar tier, though. I feel like the market has Garrett Wilson kind of in a, in a tier of his own. And then how about um, when we get to Garrett Wilson versus Devontae Adams? Yeah, I, oh, uh, definitely Devontae Adams there for me. I mean, Devontae Adams has such an outrageous track record of earning targets. I mean, not and people were like, oh, it's just Aaron Rodgers and Devontae Adams are boys. Like, man, he went there last year and had these some outrageous target share games. And yeah, Devontae Adams is just like really, really good at football. And I don't doubt that Gary Wilson is also, but I'm not ready to say that he's Devontae Adams yet. How about Olave? Because I know yeah. you've, you guys have talked about some enthusiasm with New Orleans, and, and I, I share that. I think that this could be a big turnaround offense. Uh, where are you at with Olave kind of at ADP? And, and do you think he's the kind of guy that's just going to smash this year? Just an awesome player. Like from just like a real life, who's a better player perspective. I don't think it's that different between Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave. Like they are both awesome, awesome, awesome NFL wide receivers. We have Olave 23 overall, a little bit below Garrett Wilson. I think mainly because um, more mouths to feed and worse quarterback play. I mean, I think Michael Thomas is going to be back um, and healthy. So but no, I like Olave. You know, he goes very high also. And this is part of like the wide receiver thirst. I mean, am I comfortable with Olave at 19 overall? I don't think so. But some of these guys, when you get into more casual drafts, like once August and September comes, I think some of these guys are going to be going way, 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 not way, way, way later, but they'll be going later than they're going now when it's a lot of um, very, very sharp, sophisticated, um, you know, kind of math-backed people that are see the value in guys like, um, Alave and Wilson. I think they'll come down maybe half round by the time August, September comes. Yeah, it'll be interesting because right now, Wilson, it's it's almost like it's Wilson versus Amon Ross St. Brown and C.D. Lamb right now. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I agree with you on that. One, uh, we used to, like, the norms for, for fantasy football keep kind of, like, going out the window. We talked about the dead zone changing. Uh, you know, we used to have years ago, it was fade wide receivers on new teams. That's, like, completely out the window for years now. Um, but one kind of cheat code that people still subscribe to is draft second year wide receivers. And it's one that I'm, I'm continually doing. Last year, we had Jalen Waddell. We had Amon Ross St. Brown. They both beat ADP. And Devonta Smith was one of the, the best picks you could possibly make at ADP. He was like wide receiver 39, finishes wide receiver 9. That's all she wrote. If you draft him, you got big time production. We, we talked about Wilson and we talked about Alave. Um, and then I mentioned the guys that were big time successes, but last year you also saw Elijah Moore and you saw Kadarius Tony, both big time bus kind of where they were going. And a lot of times those guys were going before Devonta Smith mm -hmm. this year, you have that next tier behind the Alave Wilson of L Drake, London, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson, Christian Watson, George Pickens, and that's not in the order. I would say Watson is is in, is probably the highest drafted of the guys I just mentioned. But of that group of kind of the non-Wilson Alave tier, which is your favorite to have a great season? And which is the player that you think could really let managers down, the most likely to bust? Well, first of all, the data is very clear on this. Like second year wide receivers outperform expectation uh, as a whole, right? It doesn't mean every single one is going to do it. But as a whole, these guys are typically good bets. And that is factored into yeah. our rankings. I would say the one that scares me the most is George Pickens. Um, the NFL, and I understand that part of it was injury related, but a lot of the NFL passed over George Pickens in the draft. I thought last year his profile was good as like a clear out deep threat wide receiver, like a Michael Gallup type, you know, and that's not to say that he's going to end out his career as Michael Gallup, but at least the way he was used, he's really tough down the field. And he did a reasonable job coming down with some of these balls. But man, when you just like run down the sideline and chuck it up to a guy, it's not a recipe for a sustained success. And so I, I okay with George Pickens. He's going a little bit high. I think for my take, for my taste right now, he would be the one that scares me the most. I would say, my favorite is Traylon Burks, who I think um, is just like has such little target competition and is a very, very good player and has reasonable quarterback play. Like I know people want to hate on Ryan Tannehill and I don't think he's very good, but it's at least reasonable 
quarterback play. The sexiest one to me is is Jahan Dotson. Um, obviously, I've been I've been following Jahan Dotson since Penn State days. I, I went to Penn State, and and you know this guy can really really run and make plays. And I thought last year his TD rate was clearly unsustainable, but he was still very very good. So I like all these guys. You know, I don't take Christian Watson where he goes as much, but Burks and Dotson in London for sure. And yeah, I've been kind of had a, a pick and fade on and not for any great reason other than um, his kind of where he gets the ball kind of scares me. Yeah. I wrote about Jahan Dotson as, as my breakout pick at wide receiver this year on playerprofiler.com. And I share that with you. I like, I think Dotson is such a value right now. And it's like, we talk about people poking holes, like, yeah, the touchdown rate is, was way too high and unsustainable, but he still scored those touchdowns on a bad offense. And, you know, people want to use that as some sort of negative. And the guy had like six top 25 weeks uh, out of 12. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm all in on Dotson. Just curious, your your thoughts on, on Christian Watson right now? Yeah. You know, I'm not sure that Christian Watson's ever going to be like a 25% target share guy, even though I think he's very, very good. He's more of like a big play type guy. And as much as I like where Jordan Love and some of these guys go late, like backdoor Packer stacks and stuff like that. It would be hard pressed for me to be that confident saying that Jordan Love is going to be excellent at getting Christian Watson the ball. So yeah, that's just the, the, the biggest concern for me on him, on him where he goes. Interesting. You know, we talk about Green Bay. Today there was a report, like you get these reports every single day now, the of Romeo Dubs uh clicking with Jordan Love. It's yeah. so funny. I just, you know, you've been in doing this a long time. How do you filter out what's real and what's not? Are you a drumbeats guy where you want to see it from multiple voices? Are you a guy who's, you know, at this point, you trust certain beat writers more than others? How do you go about filtering the nonsense from actionable information? Yeah, I think beat writer observations are mostly meaningless. In other words, like, oh, Traylon Burks looked great in practice today. Oh, Romeo Dobbs is is lighting it up. Um, I think that kind of stuff is almost certainly worth ignoring. I think things like Jalen Hyatt only getting reps with the third team at OTAs when a lot of times they give rookies chances at least, I think that's more meaningful. So that's the kind of stuff that I'm looking for. If the Packers reports is that they're running a lot of two wide receiver sets versus three wide receiver sets, I think that's worth noting. It's it's the performance stuff that I think people get into trouble with. And yeah, you know, Jordan Love and Romeo Dobbs' data can be backed up. When Jordan Love got in there, he targeted Romeo Dobbs a ton. Seems to be carrying over to Wanted to uh, talk about offenses. I think we get so caught up in analyzing specific players, but if we can simply hit on the quarterback slash offense that exceeds expectations, that can drive up the ADP value and scoring of multiple players on that same team. We saw this last year with Philadelphia, Jalen Hurts, and then obviously A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith both smashed. You saw this with Miami where you referenced Tua. Tua was a later quarterback pick. Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle both smashed Jacksonville, Seattle. I mean, it was across the board last year. Who are some offenses that are underrated right now and poised to break out? Yeah. I mean, that was a huge thing. We Like, can't be this good every year. But last year, I mean, we were so in on the Eagles and the Lions, and it made a huge, huge, huge difference in terms of flowing through to fantasy. I would say um, – I would say Seattle is underrated still, but I hear you that it's starting to come up. In terms of ones that are like further off the board, Atlanta, to me, I think they have to take a step forward in their passing rate, and that should unlock, I think, a better offense, assuming Desmond Ritter is at least capable. I think he'll be better than Marcus Mariota was. I mean, people do not realize how bad Marcus Mariota was. Guy was just completely inept. Awful. I think along the similar lines, I like what Chicago's done, man. I mean, Chicago has made a lot of really sharp moves other than the chase Claypool one, which I think was disaster, you know, the rest of the moves they've made. And I think their team is actually reasonably strong right now. Have a chance to take a leap forward as an offense. And I already mentioned the Browns too. So Atlanta, Chicago and, and Cleveland, I say would be uh, breakout offenses that maybe the market isn't on as much. Yeah. And I would argue like the Seattle one's interesting because do you see the converging uh, running back ADPs? And then you also have three wide receivers pushed up. So probably two of them hit. So I think, you know, attacking Seattle is still a good play. I, I like a lot of your answers. Uh, I think that that's like Atlanta, if they can just be super consolidated, then I think Pitts, London can both smash this year alongside of Bijan. And, 
you know, people talk about how bad the, the passing volume was last year, but they had like 100 more attempts in 2021. So if they can just get back to that number, you know, those guys are starting to become, you know, somewhat reasonable, uh, especially in non-tight end premium. Uh, wanted to uh, talk about your favorite stacks to draft right now in underdog. And yeah, I, Adam, I, Adam, Adam has a little bit of clout here. You, you, you're, you're pretty good at this thing. Uh, maybe you could quickly just touch on your big DFS win last year. Oh, the best ball win. You mean? Yeah. The best ball win. Yeah. Best ball win, excuse me. Yep. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I, in all, in all gambling stuff, I try to realize my equity may be faster than other people do. In other words, like you could be a huge favorite in the million maker. You could be a huge favorite in underdog best ball mania. You could be two times better in the field and you're still like really, 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 really unlikely to realize your equity. So, um, I played, you know, all of the high stakes, small field, uh, stuff in best ball last year, uh, had a three, three, three team on DraftKings that got through the final and won. Um, and yeah, a lot of that, you know, you don't have to worry as much about a lot of the advanced stuff we talk about to get through large fields. Um, I didn't worry about week 17 correlation. I didn't worry too much about reaching for stacks. You know, I had a couple backdoor stacks. I had a giant stack. I had a, uh, Trevor Lawrence, Zay Jones stack. Um, but you know, nothing like, uh, you know, I wasn't like reaching for Alan Diggs or Mahomes Kelsey. And so those kind of formats, I think, work out better for me. Um, if you're playing the large field stuff, I would think about it more like what Theo is saying. In other words, like think about what your favorite stacks are and try to accumulate a lot of those. So, so yeah, it's just kind of understanding what kind of contest you're playing for sure. And so right now when you're drafting underdog, are there continually stacks that you find yourself building? Maybe some under the radar, maybe some some uh you know ones that cost you a little more but you're yeah. just in on i mean i usually have the draft come to me and i end up with the stacks that where i like the pass catchers where i like the running backs from the backdoor one that i always end up on is new england because it's like so cheap you know i end up with like mac jones hunter henry taekwon thornton or like maybe i'll take deandre hopkins in like the fourth or fifth round and i'll end up with mac jones just because i think there's you know some chance he goes there 30 percent, 40 percent. but yeah you know that's the one that always falls to me is the, is the new england one the Miami one is tough. I love the Miami one, but you have to take round one. And I actually did this recently. I took round one Tyreek Hill, round two Waddle, and then like round nine Tua and round 11 A-Chain. And I like that. I'm still thinking through if round one, round two is too much capital in one team for the playoff weeks. In other words, like my second round pick is probably not going to go off if my first round pick goes off. Whereas who I'm playing against in the finals of a best ball thing, they're probably going to have their first and second round pick going off. So I don't know. I'm still thinking about that one, but I do like Miami in general. It's just hard for me. I don't know if I can really go round one and round two and still be profitable there in best ball. Yeah. So I've heard you talk about Juju Smith-Schuster and I think that's a good segue to this question is last year we saw the, I guess I'll take them here guys. They all smashed. You had Josh Jacobs, Amari Cooper, Tyler Lockett, Miles Sanders, they were all like in the top 15 at their position. And obviously Josh Jacobs won leagues. I can remember an NFFC Vegas draft where I like got stuck at wide receiver, ended up with Amari Cooper and I was just all upset and Cooper ends up smashing for me. Yeah. Who are some of these guys right now that people are like maybe brushing off that could end up having really big years. You referenced Tyler Lockett earlier. Um, any other veterans that kind of get you a little bit excited that people yeah. might think are gross. It's so funny, you know, like Juju Smith-Schuster is like, He's going like, he's going to end up going in like 120 or something totally insane like that between the knee stuff and the Hopkins stuff and nobody wants the Patriots. I mean, I don't want to take Juju Smith-Schuster either, but like, I didn't really want to take Josh Jacobs last year either too, you know? So um, just kind of is what it is. It's not the type of player that I like to draft. And so like, I'm a kind of okay that I missed out on Josh Jacobs. Um, I would throw Tyler Lockett again into the mix. Mike Evans is one who I just think is like, very good at football and nobody wants to take him because of the quarterback situation. And I don't know if this counts for this kind of archetype, but Gabe Davis to me is someone who everyone was so excited about last year. Now you get like a literal four round discount on Gabe Davis, who no one wants. He's still a young player. He's not like a veteran established veteran, which I think is what you're getting at. But to me, Gabe Davis is a guy. It's like, well, I know last year was bad. Maybe he's not that good at football, but how bad can this be in, in the eighth round when he's playing every snap with Josh Allen? Yeah, and, and it's funny because a guy like Gabe Davis, we've seen the smash games. And if he just has like two more smash games, then the, the scoring is so much higher just based on the way he scores points. So I'm with you on Gabe Davis. I, I don't think he's great, 
but he has a clear role in one of the league's best offenses. I'm glad you brought up Mike Evans. I think Mike Evans is the one because he's getting drafted kind of in this range where guys are hitting and people are just like disgusted to draft any Tampa Bay Buccaneer right now. Yeah. I think, I think you hit the Mike Evans one seventh round Mike Evans and you could just put him in your flex after last year, he got steamed up almost to like, there were some high sticks drafts where Mike Evans was getting pushed up close to like the one, two turn. Yeah. Um, so I think you're, you're all over that one. We haven't talked about tight ends. What's your way, your favorite way to attack tight end right now this season? Do you like taking shots on the elite guys? Are you in on the kind of the middle class of tight ends or are you going late? I think there's good options throughout the draft, really. And so I kind of let tight end come to me. I would say that Goddard, Waller, Fryermuth, and Joku to me are all good, fine options to be the one. Now, it's always a concern for me. I, I always try to think about tight end from a macro perspective because it's all about separation, right? Like if Travis Kelsey separates like he did last year, it's a disaster. And like, I, I took a lot of Mark Andrews and Kyle Pitts last year in like round three uh, or so. And that was a disaster because I, I was like, man, I think there's going to be elite tight end this year. I think it's going to be one of these guys. I think they're going to separate massively and they don't. And the opportunity cost in round three is so, so, so high. And so my lean, especially in some of those smaller field stuff is quantity over quality. I'm not sure that's right in large field, but in small field, I'm more into give me three guys, give me, uh, you know, Goddard, Chig, and Gerald Everett, or, or you know, give me Fryermuth, Waller, and Higby, or something like that, and let me just try to piece it together at tight end with quantity over quality. I, in redraft, I think that's worse, uh, and in large field, I think that's worse. But that's kind of the way I think about it for small field. So, like for for underdog builds, do you think there's ever an argument? You know, we try to be different in our builds. Do you think there's ever an argument for a four tight end build? Yeah. And, you know, Jack just wrote an article about that. We talked about that on the podcast. I think it's viable. I wouldn't do it in a ton of my drafts, but yeah, like four dusty tight ends, I think is viable. I also think that the other thing that's viable in those really large field stuff is you have to think about week 17. Let's say Travis Kelsey again has some outrageous, outrageous year. He smashes all other tight ends. He's going to be on so many playoff teams. You get to the final or you get to the playoffs. Let's say Travis Kelsey has a dud and you have nothing else at tight end. That's a mess, right? But you could gain so much on the field by say having, say you drafted Travis Kelsey and Goddard or Travis Kelsey and Hawkinson or Travis Kelsey and Firemuth, you know? And then like you have that secondary one, maybe Kelsey has a bad playoff game in the fantasy playoffs and you get that other guy that just laps the field. So when you're thinking about uniqueness in the best ball playoffs, I think that's at least worth considering. Yeah, and, and fragility, uh, fragility sucks if you lose one of your guys late in the year, right? Right, Adam? Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's, oh, that's for cool. sure. Let's uh, let's just play. You know, uh, speaking of like contingent upside, if Kelsey misses time, which Kansas City Chief would be the one to to really shine? Because they're not going to stop scoring points if if Travis Kelsey misses some time. He's been so fortunate with injuries. I, I mean, I don't even know like what they what they do. Like they have left themselves, and I think it's I don't want to say irresponsible, but like I don't think that it's necessarily like fair to Mahomes to keep running him out there with such unproven pass catchers and a 34, 35 year old Travis Kelsey. I, I mean, I honestly don't know what they would do. If Travis Kelsey went down, which makes me think that they feel pretty good about Travis Kelsey's aging curve and his health, because if they thought that Travis Kelsey was like falling off, I think they would have had to do more at weaponry. So yeah, if he goes down, I, I don't know, man, like Noah Gray. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't think that it would be, um, I don't know. I don't think it would be as, as good as maybe I'm not as convinced maybe as you are that they would continue to score points at the rate that they do. It scores some points. Yeah. It's, you know, <laughs> no now, if the final tight end question, if it's not Travis Kelsey as tight end one overall this year, who is it? I guess the 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 chalk answer is certainly Mark Andrews. Like we didn't really touch on the Ravens at all, but I do believe that the Todd Monken play faster, play spread, throw more is yeah. true. So I think the best answer has to be Mark Andrews. The only one other one that I think could see enough volume would be Hawkinson, but you know, I, it's really unlikely. I think that um, Hawkinson would get enough volume there to be there. I mean, the Travis Kelsey stuff is just so, so, so outrageous with his target share and, and who he's catching passes from. Well, we've hit almost an, an hour. You've been super generous with your time. The chat was super lit today. I'll try to get to questions, uh, but we wanted to cram it in uh, for Adam. So stick with us all summer on press coverage. But Adam, let us know what's coming out at ETR, what you have personally, what the staff's putting together, 
all the great stuff you guys are putting out this summer. Yeah, if you're playing best ball, dynasty, or season long, we cover all that in our Draft Kit Pro. It's $49.99. You guys can check that out. And if you want to keep up with what we're up to, you need to be on Twitter at Adam Levitan, all one word, and at Establish the Run, all one word. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to be dropping one of these press coverages a week, but for this particular week, I'm doing back to back. I'm going to be back tomorrow at 3 30 with Sigmund Bloom. And then check out Billy Muzio and I on First Class Fantasy. Uh, this Thursday with uh, Andrew Erickson. It's going to be a great week at Player Profiler. Thanks again, Adam, for your time. And everybody have a great rest of the day. Hey, I want to take a moment to thank you for tuning in. It's important to me that all of our media be free. This is only possible because of you allowing a true independent sports media enterprise to thrive unlike any other in the business. So please subscribe to the All In Package to continue to make all of this possible to ensure that all of our stats, information, data, content is available to you, especially you, the people that get the site and get the show.